What is up, ladies and gentlemen? And thank you for tuning in to part two with Lori Josephs. I mean, that the first, you know, the whole part one, laying out the groundwork, growing up, how school was, starting drinking at 14, um, you know, which is very common for a lot of people. But a lot of people go through school and they're socially drinking and they put it down. Some of us can't put it down and we need a little help. And so thank you very much for tuning into part two here because we're going to get into it. If you listen to part one, right at the end, Lori just moved down to Florida. And that's where we're going to pick it up because you got down to Florida. Your friends are there. You're comfortable there because right. you've spent some time. Sure. And uh, and so let's start right there. Okay. So you, you sure. get down there. Sure. And I'll try and make, uh, you know, the, the next few years kind of short because I do want to get into recovery because... Mm-hmm. You know the story's what it is and um but recovery is what is very important to get to so i'm in florida oh yeah so you know i started drinking because why wouldn't i like i was feeling good things were good grades are good i'm now in florida so i kind of as most alcoholics talked myself into this you know i can control my drinking see right like look what i did so i have some accomplishment behind me which proves i can control my drinking right 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 right. which is the big fat lie so i'm down in florida and uh it was kind of like my roommate oh i love her um she was kind of a deadhead so i kind of got oh grateful dead what's that and um well, yeah. So we did so, you know, went to some shows. Um, I was uh, an alcoholic who did her drugs alcoholically. So I never said no to certain things. So Florida definitely um, had a lot more of uh, the uh, outside issues. A <laughs> little bit fuzzy. That. Right. So um, I just kind of went all out and. Um, and did a lot of drugs and that was not good for someone like me because again I was already probably a full-blown alcoholic at 19 and um, so Florida did not turn out quite as well as I thought I ended up dropping a lot of my classes I think I only ended up with two the first semester and it was a very expensive private school so then I felt really guilty right so now my parents are paying me for, to go to the school and I basically have failed out and um, so that's you know the whole craziness starts um, and one very interesting part about my Florida time or stay in Florida was my roommate. Her mom was an alcoholic, and she used to talk a lot about her. And um, and there's so many things in my story that uh, are just pretty powerful. And one of the things that Shannon did or said to me one night, she handed me an A pamphlet, and she said, "You remind me of my mother." Hmm. And that was probably the first introduction to A. I'd ever had like I'm sure I knew or heard or blah but I mean that I remember her handing that to me and I'm like what like that's not good like because I knew how bad her mom was um so again it was like one more thing that now I'm you know I already kind of knew but it's the continual reminder the warning lights on the car (laughs) it's the warning lights on the car is an analogy some people use and you know of course the way i rolled this this guy was dating down there he was from new york city um his dad bought and sold airplanes you know very very one of those new york people uh, i don't know but anyway he had a problem with drinking as well we get pulled over one night he's pretty drunk and the cops arrest him DUI we were on a dry campus 
So that he ended up getting expelled from school. And it's funny, the cops that night made me drive and I was just as drunk as him. So I, I sober up real good around cops. Um, <laughs> that was always my one thing. I, I could get real clear when uh, the police were involved because I hated getting in trouble. So I was like this kind of like alcoholic who just wasn't going to get caught. Um, so he goes off to New York. I end up flying there to visit him and just I, I, I took a... <laughs> <laughs> a flight from Boca to New York City and um, there was a guy in the plane he was somehow connected to the school he was like the dad of the chancellor I can't remember him and I had a few drinks on the plane and then there was an issue with weather so they had a de- they had a land us in Baltimore's kind of emergency landing and then they're like well now you're stuck here and I said well I have to get to New York City they're like, well, you can take a train. So we took a train, and I had this bird with me because I was returning this very exotic bird to New York. <laughs> and then we get on a bus, and then we get to the train station. And we, so anyway, this you can't make this up. I'm, I'm like envisioning yeah, like a cartoon exactly. movie in my head. <laughs> and the funny part was at the train station, Penn Station, wherever we were, they were promoting Honey Jagermeister. It just come out. So I literally got on the train with like four T-shirts. I was like. You know, the guy from Dumb and Dumber. I had a couple of caps. He had, like, hats. He gave me as many shots as I wanted. So I'm, like, boarding the uh, the train now with all this paraphernalia and this bird that I thought I'd killed because he, like, passed out on the plane. And I show up in New York, and his dad took one look at me. You know, he's like, uh, I got your room at the Helmsley Palace. And, uh, you know, I just showed up. I was so drunk. And, like, you know, that's just how it went. Like, I... I you know, when you're not supposed to drink or show up drunk, that's what we do. So that was just one of many stories that, again, tells me I should never drink. Um, because that's the kind of stuff that happens to me when I drink is everything gets derailed. Um, so Florida ended up, I ended up leaving there at the end of the year and not returning. So I chose to go to a rehab. When I left Florida, I checked into a treatment center in uh, Oxford, Michigan, the Oxford Institute used to be a 30-day treatment center. Still there? Nope. It was awesome. No, and it was very cheap back then. I think my insurance paid for Blue Cross, like, covered the whole stay. And it was a 30-day inpatient uh, treatment center. Was it your decision, or were you uh, coerced no, to get in there? I knew. Uh, Boca kind of took me out <laughs> quickly. Um, and again, it was just one thing after another. So... I was like, you know what? There's no point in going back down there. And I said, I probably should just go to rehab. And um, and I did. And it was great. And I remember my dad came and got me, and I had a little graduation. And I remember leaving that treatment center and driving down Lakeshore, and everything was new and different and bright. And I was like, you know, I was 30 days sober. And it was it's funny because that's what happens when you – you know, get sober. Everything does look really, really good in the, the beginning. The colors are right. different. Right. Of course, that doesn't last because right. then, you know, now you're sober and life's coming at you. So I think I stayed sober 60 days and it felt like 60 years. Um, so now I have a treatment center under my belt and I'm still not staying sober. So again, I'm thinking, well, that's not good. Um, I moved to Boston because that seemed like a great idea. And um, my best friends were at BU. And, of course, you know, they're like 4.0 real students, like, you know, s- studying real stuff. <laughs> so I moved to Boston and living in uh, Beantown. And all I can tell you is I slept most of the day and I went to the bars at night. I did enroll in 
Boston University in the art school, which I never showed up for, didn't attend one class. Um, so it began to feel it began to feel a little bit like I was I wasn't even 21, but just you know what am I doing? I mm -hmm. had a little bit of a, a job I did. But my life was really all wrapped up in drinking and getting in trouble. And we would go to New York City for, like, the night. Um, back then, Trump, uh, there was a flight you could hop on for, like, 50 bucks from Boston, Logan, to New York. And, you know, we'd run this city and get in trouble. And I just look back on that. I'm like, and I wasn't even 21. Wow. But I was getting very tired. Um, and my, my alcoholism was much worse, and I was physically tired. And our parents decided, both my friend and my their parents, that, you know, I should probably head back to Michigan. So I did that. Um, and, again, in Boston, I remember, like, trying to quit drinking. I'd get, like, a day or two. Or I was always like, oh, I won't drink tonight. And if I could not drink one night, then, you know, I'll prove to whoever. I'm no, in control. Right. And no one cared. Here's the thing. I was always proving to people that really didn't exist because it was only me that I had to prove this to. Right. And um, I came back from Boston. I think I went to a – I don't remember. This is – fuzzy not because of drinking just because it was so long ago so I'll wrap it up to get to recovery so I come back to Michigan I go to AA I kind of stick around you know longer um, of course I meet someone there him and I start dating and then <laughs> I remember like within like five months you know he's drinking and then I'm drinking one night we take turns and um we end up moving to Florida for legal reasons he got in trouble with the law and I follow him down there and you know, that and all my friends were graduating from College of Boca. So I move in about a you know block away and they're all like, hey, what are you doing back? So I was off and running again with my buddies in Florida. And um, we ended up coming back to Michigan because his parents got in this boating accident and died and come back to Detroit. And of course, everyone feels sorry for us. And let me tell you, that made my drinking much easier to get away with right. because no one was going to say anything because poor Lori, right? Sympathetic. Yes, it was awesome. Everyone felt bad for me. So that relationship was a hot mess train wreck. And, um, and I was 22 at the time. Wow. So then I decide wow. Denver is probably where I'm going to do much better. So I moved to Denver, follow my sister out there, because, you know, if you haven't noticed, I decide different states will be better for me. Right. And and really what happens is I find myself exactly where I'm at. Well, you carry it with yeah. you. You think that a new environment right. is going to be this big, like, you know, <laughs> breath of fresh air, but it's all in here. Right. You know, now was there... Uh, we're we're going to skip forward a little bit just because uh, we only have like, you know, 15, 20 minutes Jeez. and we got to get to the meat of this. Um, was there a, a single incident at, at towards the end? Mm -hmm. Like when you decided, I just, I, I give up. Right. I, I effing give up. I, I, I can't drink anymore. Yes. So I was back in Detroit and something kind of crazy happened. I had been... Um, drinking all day, doing drugs, and with a really not-so-good person um, downtown, and something happened that night, and I don't know what it was, and I talk about this a little bit, but they were going to get more drugs, and I something told me to leave that apartment. And again, 
you know, that's not my normal thing once I'm rolling. But and drugs I, were coming. Why right, would you right, leave? Exactly. And I remember just physically just as fast as I could walk out of there, they kind of, you know, he followed me out, wanted to know where I was going. I got in my car. I locked my door. I felt like something bad was really going to happen. I drove home. I was supposed to be at a company party. I actually had a job somehow. And, um, and I got back to my mom's house, and I literally was struck sober that night. I felt that if I did not quit drinking, I would die. It was like, they called a moment of clarity yep. for an alcoholic. And it was like, I was as sober as I am now after drinking all day. Wow. And I and I remember I was in my mom's kitchen and I just kept turning, like I was like this. And I'm like, no matter where I went, I kept hearing that you will die somehow, some way. And I picked up the phone, I called my friend. I said, meet me at the bar. We met. I told him, you know, what was going on. He's like, yep, you're going to die. And this was one of my best friends. And um, and I made a call out to the Betty Ford Center the next day. It was Christmas. They had a bed. I ended up flying out there within a week. And um, and that's kind of where it started, my, my second rehab out in California. I ended up staying there for a year and a half. They did not want me back in Michigan. So they sent me into a halfway house. Um, when I left the Betty Ford Center. So I came home for a week, left, packed, and then um, my journey began out there. And um, I did not stay sober the entire time because I was four and a half months sober out of treatment. And I went out. The guy I was dating, of course, had relapsed, and everyone said, you will relapse too. And I was like, I'll be different, right? No. So I picked up a beer. I drank for two days. Um and you'll like this. My last night of drinking, I was uh, in the valley. He <laughs> took me there. There was a band playing Dogstar. And uh, so I got up on stage. They were giving out T-shirts. And uh, <laughs> I was, and my drunken self was being rather rude to Keanu Reeves and um, asking what, why was he singing? He was an actor. And I just remember <laughs> he was like, you're really mean. <laughs> And uh, till this day, I feel bad. But that was literally my last drunk. And um, and and I, the next day, I went to an A meeting, the same meeting I've been going to. And it was a six thirty a.m. meeting in Newport Beach. And um, every day, I got up and told every single person what day I was at, which I'd never done in all my years of getting sober. So I was like, "This is day one." Next day, day two, and I I actually announced it in every meeting until I hit thirty days, and I don't know why someone had told me to do that and I'd never done it, but something about that and being like letting everyone know because what that did, everyone in those meetings knew where I was at, and mm -hmm. they knew after the meeting they were taking me to coffee, they were taking me to the next meeting, they knew I was within thirty days of sobriety, so. For me not to relapse, I had to let every single person know where I was at. And that's what most alcoholics do not do, right? You sit in the back, you raise your hand, you don't say anything, you never disclose, like, you know, I'm 12 hours sober and I'm really having a bad day. You don't tell people. And um, I always say it's kind of like being in the mob for me. You have to get in so deep in this program that you really can't get out because everyone knows what's going on with you. So when I felt like drinking, I had 10 people who were gonna tell me, you know, they had much better plans for me. Many times they would say, you know what you're gonna do tonight? You're gonna go speak at this meeting. You're gonna go make coffee. You're gonna go clean the ashtrays, because back then I smoked about 
four packs a day, and we could smoke in all the meetings. And um, I was the ashtray cleaner upper, and they made me do service work. So the reason I am sober here today, decades later, is honestly that last time that I went out and came back in to AA. For me, it's AA. There's many ways to get sober. That works for me. That's my story. So that's what I'm going to share about. Um, it was that service work. Yeah. They'd say, you're speaking tonight at this women's meeting. I'm like, I have 60 days. Who cares? You have more days than these people. They got five. Right. They always said, if you have 24 hours more than the next person, you can help them. And I was like, really? And they're like, yes. And um, there was a great guy. He was an advocate for recovery and Alcoholics Anonymous. And he um, he was amazing. He was a Kennedy. And he so he had a lot of power. And he was an actor. He was on All My Children for 20 years. And um, I met him in California. And one day I was having a bad day in a meeting. I shared it. He looked at me and he said, walk with me. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, and I didn't know who he was. I didn't know until 10 years later who this man was. He said, how about you show up tonight in Santa Monica and you be the lead speaker at the candlelight meeting? And I said, no way. <laughs> and he goes, you never say no. And he goes, I'll meet you there an hour early. I'll tell you what to do. And that's how you're not going to be in a bad mood today or whatever. I was sharing about, I was having a really tough time in three years sober. And, and that man, you know, he was really authentic and years later i saw his book uh he had written many many books and um i was like that's that guy like i didn't know i'm a little naive but i'm like oh my god and uh, he passed away last year from a heart attack and he was one of the the real pioneers in recovery and um my cousin's out there right now and he probably goes to the same meetings you did he's been he's about i think he's five years sober and he's living out okay. and because he talks about the meetings in Santa Monica and, yep. and different places and, and running into like, oh, yeah, I saw Johnny Rockstar, the dude from the Goo Goo Dolls who is like right. always in there. I know oh, it's yeah. I know it's anonymous, but, um, you know, I like what you said, you know, AA works for you. And I, I said earlier, it's not a one size fits all program. It, you figure what works for you. AA, the philosophies are incredible just for living a great life. Mm -hmm. And if you are worried about the God thing, refuge recovery is Buddhism in the 12 steps. You can find something that works for you. So don't let that hang you up at all. And your moment of clarity hits strong with me because three rehabs, you know, all the, the, the war stories. And it was just one day I walked in and looked in the mirror and I said, this ain't who you are, man. Right. You're like a social animal and you are going to die. And, 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 and from that day forward was when I, I don't know what it was. It right. was like, what, what hit right. you? You don't know what it's going to be, right. but never, never stop trying because something will work and resonate with you. So with you, you are um, very active in the community uh, now. How, um, if you don't mind sharing, how long have you been sober? 23 years and change. Yeah, It'll I, be 24 in April. Wow. So that's... And still, though, and, like... And, and I got sober at 12. <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's the years, what I'm I'll tell you what, the years go by so fast now, it's like a joke. Like, in the beginning, you want time. And now I'm like, no. <laughs> like, like, because that means I'm heading towards the <laughs> end of my life. Um, but it is. that I, I'm telling you, for me, I'll tell you what I did in the beginning. I don't do it as much now because when you get sober, you know... Uh, you get a life, you get responsibilities, like adult grown-up things, like jobs. And, and I was married for eight years. Um, I have two beautiful kids from that marriage. Um, I've been given a lot of responsibility, so I don't have as much time. But that first year of recovery, I was in three meetings a day. Um, I was going to bonfire meetings on the beach. I was in California, and it was 
you know, the best. Um, we would do surf retreats down in San Diego and there would be um, bonfire meetings all weekend and then Saturday, you know, a main speaker by the big bonfire. So I just threw myself in to be surrounded by people who are like-minded, who are getting sober, staying sober, trying to get sober. I had to surround myself with that and not my friends that still drank. And I love those people today and I hang out with a lot of them now because I can. In the beginning, I could not. It took me about two years before I could go and do some of the things I could do. Now, ironically, I said I was best hostess of my senior class. Then I became um, an event planner for most of my career. So then I'm throwing parties. Um, you know, I'm sometimes I had to be the bartender and everyone's like, oh, my God. Like everyone I ever worked for knew I was in recovery. And they're like, can you? I'm like, I'm fine. Because my sobriety and the program I've worked, they said if you do the work, which is to me the 12 steps, which is basically, you know, clearing up my past, dealing with any amends I have to make, trying to live a really good, decent life day by day, make amends where I have to. I totally screw up all the time. Never work this perfectly. Um, they said, you can go anywhere on this planet and you don't need to drink. And that is so true. Um, some of the best meetings I've gone to, Cabo San Lucas. I never thought I could go to Cabo, be on the beach. We would surf. We would go uh, fishing. And we'd go to meetings every night at this hotel overlooking the ocean. And I realized, wow, because I was someone, if I went on vacation, it just meant I was drunk because mm -hmm. that's what I consider fun. Um, I can go anywhere on this planet, and I'm free from addiction today. And you can find a meeting anywhere. Exactly. I was up in the UP, um, and I forget what the name of the little town was, like right on the edge of Lake Superior, and I found a meeting, right. and it was like me and three people in the basement of a church. It was like totally old right. school, but there's a meeting everywhere. Right. And right now, like you were mm -hmm. saying earlier, uh, online, there's meetings, mm -hmm. there's chat groups, 24 right. hours a day. <laughs> right. You can, you know, there's this one guy, um, I listen to a lot of A speakers too, even back, this is how old I am. So I used to go to meetings and buy the tape that yeah. the speaker would sell <laughs> Or, you know, the meeting would sell the little cassette. And I would go home and listen to it because it was so good. And then there was CDs. And then I joined the CD Club of the Month or something. Mm -hmm. Now it's all on YouTube. And obviously there's streaming and all that. But um, that's... You know what I love I about, about your story, though? What I love is similar to what I said. If somebody told me it was crawling on glass, right. I would have done it. And, and the program works. And it worked for you. And you realized I need to give it as much attention as I gave drinking, right. I can give it to this program if it's going to keep me at least as level-headed as I possibly can be. Right. I mean, as sanely sober as I can be. Um, yeah, I mean, over-sober sometimes, which is not good. Um, but I also, one of the things someone told me early on, you know, it, it is about service work. And I think the reason they say that, I used to go into the jails in Detroit and lead meetings. And that was some of the most powerful things I did. And I was 28 years old, and I'm in downtown Detroit in the dead of winter. They locked me in the cell with these women, and they're like, have a meeting, we'll be back in an hour. And, <laughs> um, but it taught me what that service is. And what it is, it's getting out of me and being of service to you makes me feel whole. So drinking, I was always, like we were talking about, chasing that drink, right, to feel okay. And there was no amount of alcohol on this planet that I found that filled that hole. Mm -hmm. But the service work, the A, the program, recovery, 
God of my understanding, all of that fills that hole and makes me feel okay. And okay is where I want to be today. Yeah. I don't want to be too high and I don't want to be too low. And like you said, with all this stuff going on with COVID and, you know, there, there are resources you don't have to drink. I mean, you can Google AA meetings all over the world right now. There are tons of people staying sober. I mean, I never once thought of drinking during COVID. Um, and I'm grateful for that, but it doesn't mean I can't ever drink again. Just because I'm sober a few years means nothing. It's what I do on a daily basis, you know, is going to keep me sober. What I did 10 years ago means nothing. Right. Because, right. I, uh, you know. I right? tell anybody, if they see me with a vodka bottle, it just means I want to die. Because I know that in my heart. Right. If right. I pick up again, I'll be dead in four days. Four days. But, Lori, you know, we're already out of time. Um <laughs> I'm going to have to have you back on again. Yes. You know, we are going to do this again, uh, possibly early September. We might carry on some more of the sober stories into September because you are freaking amazing. <laughs> and so much well, of what you. you said, I know that there are people in our international audience that something resonated with them today. And if you need to reach out, Lori is on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, drop us a line. Drop us a line if you don't know what else to do. Say I heard the show and I want to talk, and and let's just let's let's see where that goes. You know, just take that first step. But Lori, once again, freaking amazing! Thank, thank you, thank you, G. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have you on again. And you guys, thank you. thanks for tuning in, man. Share this across the world. Let's make positivity go viral. And anybody, anybody, if you think you have a problem with alcohol or drugs, reach out. There is help and there is hope. You just watched two 25-minute segments of living proof that there is hope. So thank you guys again. I'll see you very soon. I am Gerald Bally. That is Lori Josephs. And this is The Drop-In.